Commodores there with a classic you are and in your face on 3CR with James. I'm thrilled to have Ruth Canarellos in the studio to talk about the wonderful production COVID Rat Cabaret Goes Spiral. Yes. Tell us all about it. Oh, what can I say? Well, um, it's a project that I guess got started during lockdown. Uh, when we were all going a little bit crazy and um, we had been doing a show or going to be doing a show during the comedy festival called Mrs Robinson and, of course, that all kind of got delayed for a year and essentially Ella Ella Filler, who is the writer and song uh, songwriter, um, is quite an amazing creative who is very big on getting stuff moving. So she had a group of us together and we were kind of, you know, playing around with different ideas. And so essentially this has come out of that. And your lab rats. Well, that's the, some of them are. Oh, well, I guess I am. I'm, I'm uh, playing the role of um, uh, Ratsputin, um, Professor Ratsputin. So I, I guess the idea essentially that Ella had is you know, it, it felt a little bit at times like we were kind of all stuck in cages and it wasn't as if we were being experimented on but it felt a little bit like an experiment and we were kind of, you know, being inoculated with certain things and we were, you know, kind of kept in our cages a little bit. So um, Ella's played around with some of those these ideas. So the notion of mutation and shifting and changing has also developed in this iteration. And what about things like the hate gene as well? That was something that Ella and I were chatting about um, on the phone. Yeah. She mentioned that. I thought that was a really fascinating concept. I guess, you know, a, a situation like COVID can bring out the very best and also the not so best in people. And so, you know, as, as we saw, people were kind of, you know, there were some extremes kind of developing and we saw them in the media and we saw people's angst developing into a level of intolerance and anger. So I guess, you know, Ella's idea about that comes really from that. What happens when you you know, when you can find people and you essentially kind of take away their power, what happens to them? Look, I've got to say, your collaborations with Ella are, are magnificent. And every time I've seen a photo of you and the cast, you all look like you're having so much fun. Look, her shows are fun. They are crazy. It kind of whiz bang. Um, the last one, so I've only done, this is my second, but but uh, Mrs. Robinson, we did twice. And this is the second uh, performance of this one. So everything changes a little bit. There's lots of fun. They're kind of crazy. Uh, there's lots of stuff happening out of left field. Uh, not much out of right. Um, and they're all a bit, you know, like they're a bit zany. And so they, you know, they, they are fun. They're definitely fun. And, of course, you love La Mama Courthouse. I was fortunate enough to see some stills of your performance uh, as in, in Mrs Robinson. Okay, And yes. you look like you're having so much fun at that venue. Is it, is it the venue? I look, it's a great venue to work, the courthouse. The acoustics are really good. So if you're singing, and of course we are doing, um, uh, we're doing a fair bit of singing in this show. The acoustics there are fun. It's not a huge space. Um, but again, because uh, Mrs. Robinson was a kind of different beast, but there's often a lot of humour, there's a lot of play in them. And so all of that's fun. Um, so yeah, you know, I had a great time. And, uh, you know, I do, I adore La Mama. La Mama is fantastic. Um, I work down there as a volunteer um, and, you know, it's an incredibly amazing community hub and, a, you know, a fantastic community to be part of. And so to be performing there as well is a, always a treat. And you love live theatre. Last time we spoke, you were doing a, a collaboration with Moore Davey for Midsummer. Have you always been a theatre creature? Yeah, I guess I have. Like I do some film as well, but I discovered um, theatre when I was at at school, to be honest, you know, like kind of mm, kind of teetering around at primary school, but certainly for as soon as I got to high school, school plays and stuff. So, yeah, I love both mediums, but there is something about the interaction and the engagement with a live audience that is fantastic. And you get – it's kind of you get this loop of feedback that's really exciting. Um, yeah. So COVID cabaret goes spiral. There's a real Weimar cabaret influence. Tell us about that. There is. Um Ella's songs are uh, passionate, they are political, they are sometimes a little bit, uh, there, there are lots of words I have to say, um, uh, but there's always, a, there's always a point, there's always something that she's trying to uh, communicate with through them. Um, and they can they can be challenging to perform in terms of that. And so, um, you know, 
the the performance element is always kind of strong, and it's not it's not pretty. It's what's what's the story? What am I singing about? What's going on here? And it's very much again telling you know telling the story of the song. Tell us about your cast members. Okay, so there is. Um, let me see. We have got Chris Milieu, um, who is um, amazing and you know a great performer. He was also in Mrs. Robinson. Um, we've got. I'm trying to think of people's names. We have got Maureen, who is a um, Maureen Hartley, who is a La Mama who works at La Mama, um, and is uh, plays a very interesting character, very unlike Maureen um, in this show. Uh, Adam Ibbotson is playing uh, the role of Adam, um, a kind of congenial millennial, um, and then we have got uh, Isabella. Um, Gilbert, who is playing, who has come in to play the other role, I mean, the role of Claire. But essentially, they've all got quite distinct characters. Um, they have, there are some monologues that they do, which are written by Ella. And then they also engage in some dialogues, which were actually co- uh, written by Cerise de Gelder. So it's a collaboration between um, Ella and Cerise. Um, and then uh, I'm primarily kind of emceeing and professoring and I get to sing a song with every one of them, um, all with a very different flavour. Oh, wow. That must be so fun to it be is, singing with all of them. It is fun. And um, there's a little bit of dancing that happens and a bit of, you know, some movement and some corey that we all get together to play with. So, you know, all in all, lots of fun. So you've got a really inspiring role. I mean, how amazing to work with an intimate cast and to sing a song with each person. It is. It's what lovely. It, it is lovely and it's nice because they're all very different and essentially the song and the flavour of the song kind of comes from the characterisation as well of, you know, their character, which, you know, each character comes across very, very strongly. Wow. Now you've got a rap you're going to perform for us. Uh, yes, I am. So this is a song that I do at the end of, towards the end of the show. Now you're just going to have to imagine keyboard, drums, a little bit of corey, and uh, a little bit more um, intensity than I'm going to do now, but I'm just going to read it out. So it's called The Rat Rap. When your frontal lobe goes loop-de-loop and spiral, your fear and loathing go viral and viral. Is it the genius gene of heredity that entraps us in this hate mentality? Don't you find the notion revolutionary? Could a hate gene be hereditary? So here is how you escape the skin you're in. Take your hate gene for a spin in a hygiene machine. Whip your fear of the queer in the gender bender. Rebrand your stranger's danger brand in a stranger's danger bender. Stick your master race up your master ass. Twirl your stiff upper dick in a twirling class. Watch the soul of vortex spiral and rotate. Let your double spiral DNA mutate. Feel the fear and loathing gel ignite dissolve. Watch your mind, body and soul evolve. Wow, and I can imagine the momentum building up to that rap in the show as well. Absolutely, and then we and then the, all of the cast come on, and then we do another number towards the end of it. So yeah, yeah, you know, um, Ella's got Ella's got lots of great songs. Then I um, mean, this is a you know, this is a rap, so there's no actual uh, melody, obviously, but the energy and the intensity, and a lot of her songs kind of end up being a bit earwormy you just can't you know I'll go to bed sometimes at night and then they're just going around and around in my head oh wow <laughs> wow do you find that it's hard to kind of you know release cut off from a show because of the intensity look sometimes uh I know that the last we did this show um an iteration this is a bit different um it's kind of developed since then but we did it at the butterfly club and I went straight into production literally the week after with another one and I was kind of trying to hold the lines of that one but I was going to bed and these songs were going round and round in my brain so it took me a little while to kind of shift that focus yeah and Ruth what's next for you I mean you don't seem to rest long in between shows you tend to kind of dive into a new one look it's nice to kind of keep the momentum going I have to say I've got a couple of projects this year um Maud and my um you mentioned before goddesses of jazz we're doing a regional tour uh later on 
um, this year. So I think our first show is in April and then we've got some some shows in September, October. And also, um, speaking of La Mama, a piece that I wrote called Woman with a Tomahawk is going to be on at La Mama in June. So both of those are going to keep me relatively busy. Well, it's a fantastic production. Anything that Ella does is sublime. It's called COVID Rat Cabaret Goes Spiral. It's happening at the La Mama Courthouse in Carlton from the 1st of February to the 12th. Ruth Catarellos, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, James. It's been lovely to be here. Now, I've got a track called Obsessions. Now, it's uh, an Ella production and someone else is singing it, I think. Somebody else is, but you will hear the song in the, um, in the, in the show. And this is the one that actually that Maureen and I do. And here it is. Obsessions, they all are the same goings on, goings on, goings on. They reek of bad taste and disgrace and they smell of cologne, of cologne. They come down from heaven like ravens and Stop. 
Five there, everything now. You are in your face on 3CR with James. I'm thrilled to have two guests in the studio, Shane Caddy and uh, Aspen Bilehearts, to chat about Black Apple Theatre's production, Thrive, Queer Voices Out Loud. Welcome to 3CR. Thanks for having us. Where do we start with your superb production? You're the artistic director. Tell us all about it. Uh, It is a piece of verbatim theatre, which means that actors are performing the words of real people taken from interviews. So we interviewed five uh, LGBTQI plus Victorians, uh, three older people and two younger people, and then that became the script for this play. Wow. And Aspen, what's the role like for you? Tell us about it. Yes, so I'm playing Melbourne uh, legend, may we say, Julie Peters. Um, oh, wow. Who, yes, honor. Yes. Um, and for me, the role is, you know, it's been very challenging and a real place for growth doing verbatim theatre. Um, it's really interesting technically as an actor and also really great to just get to delve into this history and this story and the, the emotions in it and the emotions that it still holds for people today in the present. So what was it like getting background information from Julie and working with her? What, what a privilege. Yes, so it was actually at a distance, which was interesting. So Cheney did all of the interviews and then we got the records of the interviews to work from. So all of us have said, the actors, we've all said, it's like we're meeting these people as characters less than as real people because we've only met them generally after performing it. Wow. And Shady, what's it been like for you bringing these young people together with these icons? Uh, It's been the most uh, soul-fulfilling, edifying, beautiful journey to see, like, my beautiful young queer cast um, meeting these gorgeous, kind, loving, queer trailblazers and just, like, watching them connect with the culture and the history and like step into I guess step into their birthright um has been just I just fills me with joy um and I get all kind of a little bit misty-eyed when it's the Q&As when they're talking about you know how they've like um you know what they've got out of this process and yeah it's beautiful um and I love planting the real person in the front row of the audience and not telling them that is something that gives me great pleasure. <laughs> it must be really exciting when you realise that, that, you know, all of a sudden you realise that Julie's actually in the audience. Yes. Well, that was the first show that we did for me. Um, and it was interesting. Apparently a lot of the others have been getting nervous. I wasn't nervous. I was I was doing it for her. <laughs> so, Chani, tell us the backstory because this is a – this is a unique concept. I don't think it's been done before. I hope not. I like to think not. Um, so I moved to Castlemaine, um, which is Jarjoran country, um, just before the world fell apart. And um, I was doing some volunteering for Chill Out Festival. Um, and I talked with the artistic director at the time about doing a show and then just woke up one morning and I was like, wait, this is what I want to do. Um and then just kind of randomly, I knew Julie from choir and I knew one of the other um, interviewees from around the traps, but the other three were strangers um, and came into my life half by accident. Um, Kay is one of the interviewees who's the third of the three older characters. And I only met her because I went to look at the Glen Lyon Hall and she unlocked it for me and we got chatting. Serendipity. Um, my gaydar started pinging and I was like, hey, you wouldn't be interested in doing this play. And she's a legend. So she sat down and she told me her life story. And it was just an amazing experience and privilege to hear what she had to say. And tell us about some of these other legends. So um, we've got Julie Peters, who, for people who don't know, mm-hmm. is a trans activist um, who 
uh, came out in the 90s while working for the ABC, was the first trans person to run for parliament, um, has some of the wittiest one-liners, my favourite being the outrageous one. Yes. Well, it's probably a pretty outrageous thing to say, but anyway, I've just said it. <laughs> Which is like Julie to a T. Um, there's Max Prima, who is a 70-something um, gay man who talks about um, coming out in the 60s and like nightlife at pokies and so on and so forth. Um, Kay, who was an out proud uh, teacher for many years, like she's been out her whole teaching career, which is pretty special. And then the two young ones um, are both these 20 somethings who have um, like this immense sense of kind of social justice. Um, Kobe's a young trans person and Cheyenne is a bi woman who was raised in a rainbow family. So both their stories are quite interesting and their perspective on what it means to be queer and young now, I really love. I love the intergenerational component of this. Yeah. Mm. What is what is the biggest theme that jumps out to you, Aspen, in terms of like, you know, I know things have changed a lot, but the, the continuity, what, what stri- strikes you in terms of the similarities between... Yeah, I think I would say persistence. Like all of these older people have all of these stories of how they persisted so much, um, often against some really hard experiences. And the fact that, you know, they couldn't be held down and the community as a whole couldn't be held down. And also these young people also have these stories of persistence and just, you know, you can't get rid of us. We're still here. Tell us about your cast, your co your co-stars. Yes. So you go. by name. Yeah, go for it. <laughs> All right. So playing K, we have Izzy. Actually, we have three actors who all studied in regional Victoria at Fed Uni in Ballarat, which is great. So we have Claire, Connor and Izzy. Um, and they are all bringing some, you know, a lot of energy to their characters and also often the same experiences that characters talk about, which is great. And we also have Daisy Webb, who is all around in the Melbourne and Australian comedy scene, so check her out. And she's playing Kobe and, again, brings that different flavour of that stand-up comedy, which you can really see in her performance and it's great to see all of these contrasts. I love Black Apple Theatre because it's political, uh, it's it's not afraid to kind of, you know, be innovative and to make statements. Tell us a bit about Black Apple Theatre. Um, so I started Black Apple uh, with a friend when I was at uni when the year didn't have a number in the tens column. So it's, I think, like f- more than 15 years we've been doing this um and for me like it's always been um a political act and it's just got queerer and more feminist as the years have kind of gone on um it used to be like when we first started out there was kind of a really big focus on young and emerging artists but I'm neither young nor emerging now so it's it's just become queer feminist theatre um and thrive for me is kind of like the peak of that journey in terms of like the work and the space that it's filling for people. So Yeah, you know, planting that seed and then watching it grow. Yes. You read our press release. <laughs> <laughs> it is great. Um and what's next for you? I mean I can't imagine you not having something else in the pipeline. Well, this is the pipeline. We wanna take this work, um it, it was made to tell queer regional stories. So even though the stories actually cover, between the characters probably cover the whole of Victoria, um, there was a focus on um, stories that might not get heard because the queer experience is like always portrayed as very urban um, and yet I'm living in the gayest country town you could ever imagine, which is Castlemaine. Had a guest last week from the Castlemaine area ah, on the show. Who was it? It was our Jane Montgomery Griffiths ah. talking about the Milford Mistress. 
How exciting. Yeah. And Castlemaine is thriving. Queerness Mm. is is Castlemaine. Absolutely. You can't go to the shops without, you know, running into three lesbians and, you know, (laughs) (laughs) um, which is what I love about it. Um, But, yeah, so we hope to take this play to the regional communities where the stories are from um, and kind of return those stories to to their homes um, and, yeah, just kind of break a bit of the silence um, and the idea that, you know, the country is a terrible place to be if you're queer, which it can be and in places it still is, but I think works like this um, go a long way to changing that. So, Aspen, how exciting for you? Are you going to be travelling around Victoria doing this doing this show? I hope so. Wow. And, I mean, going to, going to towns that, you know, have never had queer theatre before, that must be so riveting. I don't know yet. We'll find <laughs> out. Um, my queer experience in the country is in what um, funding bodies love, lovingly refer to as the Pride Belt, so there's this kind of collection of central Victorian places, Bendigo, Ballarat, Dalesford, mm. Castlemaine, Kyneton. Yeah, which have like these thriving queer scenes and they've all got their own pride festivals now. And yeah, it's great. But I sense you might be thinking of going to some places that are outside the Pride Belt. Yeah, I, I mm. do. There's a few that are on my bucket list in particular. Like I would love to go to Shep. Um, cause mm. I worked there when I was in my very early twenties and was not, um, you know, it was, I would like to revisit that and kind the tough of town. Yeah. But now it has a pride festival because people are doing such amazing work in that space because people don't want to leave their homes. And mm. I like, I don't want to see young queer people like migrating from the country to the city cause they feel like mm. they can't be themselves. So we're all kind of working really hard to create safe communities for our, you know, chickens. Well, it's a fantastic production. It's called Thrive Queer Voices Out Loud. And it's happening in Footscray at the moment. It sure is. You've got two more nights to see it. Um, so jump on either blackapplethetre.com or the Midsummer website. Um, it's on tonight at 7.30 and tomorrow night at 7.30. And then if you feel like taking a trip to Ballarat, it's on on the 11th of February as part of Frolic Festival. And Aspen, finally, what Mm. message would you like people to take away from the production? You are important. You are loved. Your life is important. Here it is. You know, you're valid. And don't forget that. And don't forget your story. Fantastic. Well, Aspen Bilehearts and Chaney Caddy from Black Apple Theatre, thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CR. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
Sundays there with Harriet Wheeler at the helm, a certain someone. You are an in-your-face on 3CR with James. Well, one of the fabulous productions showing at the Midsummer Festival is A Lemon Tree on Dreg Street. On the line, we have the playwright, Amy May Nunn. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I absolutely love the title. Where did it come from? Oh, thank you. Um, you know what? This is a play that has had so many titles. Um, it's it's had about five different titles, I think, um, over the course of its development. Um, but this is one that um, I settled on and I, I felt like it captured the the kind of heightened tone of the world really well. And um, yeah, I love it too. So thank you. It's been described as an urban queer A.A. Milne type story. It's about Twiglet and Boots who live in a ramshackle house on the edge of suburbia and a lemon tree and a possum get married. How divine. (laughs) That's exactly right. So it's also got, you know, this really urban story happening, which so many of us are familiar with, of the lovely ramshackle house being, you know, potentially under the threat from developers. Uh, Yeah, it's a pretty kind of, you know, common story, isn't it? Yeah, it definitely is. I think um, particularly um, in Melbourne, um, there's uh, a lot of development, um, a lot of people being sort of um, pushed to the further and further to the fringes, um, I think. Um, so that's something I'm, I'm very interested in. And yeah, gentrification plays a very big part in this play. So tell us about Twiglet and Boots. So Twiglet and Boots are two sort of 20-something best friends who who live in this house. Um, Twiglet is actually the owner of the house, having inherited it from her mum, who's known as Pink Lightning, who's a bit of a local legend. Um, And the house has this sort of fascinating um, kind of grungy history. Um, And the two of them uh, sort of spend their days really smoking weed and daydreaming and telling stories on the veranda. Um, that's, that's Twiglet and Boots. And tell us about the concept of the lemon tree and the possum getting married. I mean, we've all got possums, you know, that love our fruit trees and our other trees. Yeah, the uh, the concept is, I, I mean, it came from a story that I heard through my mum many years ago about uh, a woman living in a tree. Um, and I think I just loved the idea of it being a lemon tree um, that this woman was living in um, because I think lemon lemon trees are obviously so symbolic of Melbourne suburbia, Um, but I think they're also such a kind of beautifully unassuming tree. (laughs) They're very generous and we all pick lemons and kind of nick them from each other's yards and they're sort of beautifully communal. Um, And then I really love the idea of kind of taking that and making it really heightened and bringing it into this almost sort of storybook realm where this this woman was living in the tree and had actually fallen in love with the tree. Um, There's just something that I really loved about that. I'm not not sure which part of my brain it came from, (laughs) Um, but um, I think there's something kind of unexpectedly beautiful in it. And um, I'm I'm hoping that audiences will come and and fall in love with this tree as well. Tell us about the queer themes that run through a lemon tree on Dreg Street. The whole play is is so deeply queer, um, as well as all the the cast and creatives who put it together. Um, But I think what was quite important to me in, in writing the play is that the queerness is not something that's necessarily even spoken about. It's just an inherent part of this world. So all the characters are queer and, um, and that the play itself is very sort of camp and fun and, and has a beautifully queer aesthetic. Um, but in terms of queer themes, I mean, there's a beautiful kind of queer love story that runs through it. Um, but it's just sort of sewn into the lining of the world, I think, um, hopefully in a way that's really magic. And an unorthodox queer love story as well. Yes, <laughs> truly unorthodox. Um, I think the lemon, the sort of marriage to the lemon tree is um, is hopefully a really beautiful queer metaphor, um, I think, for finding joy in 
in love that we we might not necessarily understand, um, but we can celebrate it and um, find it beautiful nevertheless. Of course, you are a poet. Uh, how did your poetry background influence the writing of Lemon Tree on Dreg Street? Uh, well, my background in poetry um, it has a sort of spoken word kind of element to it, and that's something that really runs through the play. The play is very heightened, um, and so the characters kind of burst into what Miranda, the director, and I um, call odes, sort of poetic odes, um, this sort of wonderfully juicy poetic language that kind of explodes um, out of the characters in really wonderful, unexpected ways. Um, I loved the way that that uh, contributed to how heightened the world is, Um and uh, hopefully it's something really original that people haven't seen seen before. Certainly sounds it. Tell us the backstory to how you and Miranda got together. Uh, Miranda Middleton is a terrific director, um, truly just a, a rock star at what she does. Um, I met Miranda two years ago. Um, I think this play is actually premiering on, on Miranda's two-year anniversary in Melbourne. We were paired together for this sort of artist talk thing that was to do with outdoor theatre and um, we talked about basically everything other than outdoor theatre um, and we ended up talking about I suppose uh, art and, and what interests us and somewhere along the, the lines um, this play that I wrote came into the conversation and Miranda got very excited and um, the rest is history as they say. And the production has a fabulous original score, tell us about that. So we have a brilliant uh, sound designer and composer on board uh, named Oliver Beard, who has flown down from Sydney to be part of this project. Um, and Ollie has written the most beautiful songs um, that kind of tie into the poetic language of the play. Um, and um, we have a brilliant cast of actor performers and musicians, and um, it's it's really something special. Yeah, tell us about the cast. Well, um, it's a cast of five, six including our brilliant swing. Um, we have truly just an exciting band of actors. Um, we have Milo Harthill, we have Alex Donnelly, we have Asia Harris-Westman. Um, the list goes on and on. Um, they are the most terrific group of people who are just brilliant comedians, and um, have taken to this piece with so much heart um, and um, they're really something worth coming and, and watching. It's something to behold. And what's next for you after this production? Oh, after this production, I am going into a development for a play that I wrote uh, a couple of years ago that I haven't touched in a while. Um, and I can't say too much more about it at this point, but uh, it involves women and gladiators and gods, and I'm very excited about that. Women and gladiators and gods, that does sound <laughs> high energy. <laughs> Definitely high energy. So what's it like, you know, working on a production and then going back to something that you haven't touched for a while? Do you find that that gap and focusing on something else generally helps? Yeah, I do. I think it's, I mean, it's not something that's always possible, but if, that, if you can have a kind of interim period between projects, um, that's incredibly helpful. You need a sort of palate cleanser, I think, um, because obviously when you're working on something like this, it's so immersive, it's so all-encompassing. Um, that There definitely needs to be a certain kind of ritual, I think, around coming out of that and preparing yourself for what's next. Wow. So tell us a bit more about the rituals that you use. I think the rituals I use involve a lot of walking. <laughs> I'm a big walker. Um, I, think, I think part of it is really just... Celebrating the celebrating the work and relishing it and, and juicing it for all it's worth and and then you can kind of slowly start to kind of let it go I suppose um, in a really loving way you kind of fold it up neatly and put it in the drawer and and maybe it'll come out again and maybe it won't um, and then yeah I suppose you get the you get the cooker burning again you start kind of start falling in love with this new recipe. Um, that's, I think that's basically how it goes for me.
It must be a really exciting time for you, like right now, because you've been working on this play. You've obviously been having a lot of rehearsals. The preview is tonight. Opening night is tomorrow night. How are you feeling? Oh, look, I'm genuinely excited. Um, I have obviously a bag of nerves um, as well. Um, but, I mean, I've just come out of watching their the dress rehearsal and it's in beautiful, beautiful shape. Um, we, I think we're all feeling very buzzed about tonight and tomorrow. Has the cast surprised you with their interpretation of your work? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the, these guys are such pros. They've they brought their own flair and flavour to this in the most wonderfully unexpected ways. Uh, like I said, the play is very heightened and, um, and these actors have taken to that so brilliantly. Um, and they, uh, they have just so much to offer um, that I could, could never have imagined as a writer. I mean, that's the brilliance of actors. So what's the biggest surprise they've given you? The biggest surprise they've given me, I think, I think how much I have really fallen in love with these characters, not just as a writer, but as, as, an, as an audience member. Um, their, their physical comedy, their ability to really take us on that emotional roller coaster of of laughing hysterically and then feeling really hit in the gut the next moment um, has just blown me away. Wow, I'm surprised that you're surprised by how lovable they are. I mean, first of all, the names, Twiglin and Boots. Secondly, the possum and the lemon tree getting married. I mean, it sounds very kind of Winnie the Pooh. It is. It truly is. Very Winnie the Pooh slash Sesame Street. Um, it, it has a kind of... Uh, child, childlike quality with something uh, much more adult running through it, and um, and I think the combination of those two things creates something really interesting. And it sounds really friendly for rainbow families as well. I mean, if you were a, a parent wanting to take your kid along to a midsummer show, I reckon this would be it. Yeah, I, look, I would certainly hope so. I mean, absolutely must caveat that with the fact that there is references to drugs and there is swearing in the play. But if you are a parent who is not too bothered by that, then I definitely think that uh, a younger crowd would get a lot out of this show. Well, it's a fantastic production. Opening night is tomorrow. The preview is tonight. It's happening at the wonderful Theatre Works and it's running until February 4. Amy May Nunn, the playwright for Lemon Tree on Dreg Street. Thank you so much for chatting with me today on 3CL. Oh, thank you. It's such a pleasure. And uh, can't, can't wait to read the reviews. I think they're going to be sublime. Oh, fingers crossed. Cheers. Cheers so much. Amy May Nunn there. I am out of here. Jacob is up next with a Friday rave. Uh, but we will catch you next week on In Your Face. In Your Face would like to thank Thorn Harbour Health for their sponsorship of this program. Thorn Harbour Health envisions a healthy future for our gender, sex and sexuality diverse communities, a future without HIV, and a future where all people live with dignity and respect. To find out more, search Thorn Harbour Health on your search engine or Facebook.